0: Welcome to the first episode of the Unibytes podcast, where we share a piece of the world's news with you, our audience. I am your host, Kareem, and before we begin with today's episode, I would like to briefly tell you what this podcast is about. So for my segment, which will be geared more towards domestic politics and international politics, I would like to focus on events that seem inaccessible and try to show that they actually are accessible. There's this idea that goes around that politics is elitist or an insider thing, that I'm not really a political person, I'm not really interested, I wanna get involved. But unfortunately, if you have that mindset, you're not free from the politics because politics affects everything in your life and everything in the lives of people around you. So it is important to be informed and to have honest discussions about what is going on. In today's episode, I will be talking about COVID-19, but not just the disease, the infections, and all of the medical science behind COVID-19, but I want to look at how COVID-19 has taught us a lot about our society. So COVID-19, as it is, as a pandemic, is in my opinion, one of the greatest equalizers we have ever seen. And the reason is because COVID has affected every part of life, everywhere in the world. When we talk about getting out of this pandemic, people talk about returning to normalcy. But returning to normalcy, in my opinion, is not the ideal thing. Why would we want to return to normalcy when the conditions that were present with normalcy were conditions that really have been exposed as dangerous and incapable of dealing with a crisis like COVID. COVID did not create a lot of the problems that exist in our society, but what COVID has done is it has exacerbated a lot of problems and given them a platform to exist. So why would we want to go back to a time that couldn't protect us from what we are dealing with? Instead of going to a time where we fix the problems that we have and be better. Anyone can catch this disease and every country has been affected due to this disease. The global economy has tanked. There has been massive job loss in the United States. Unemployment has gone up tremendously. Food security is becoming more critical. And... Yet, when we talk about normalcy, we overlook these things. So how did we get to this point where we have almost 105 million cases, with about 27 million coming from the United States, where the United States today, February 5th, has reached 455,000 deaths? Here's an overview of the damage. COVID was first identified in diagnosed and sequenced in Wuhan, China. We know that this disease uh, is primarily airborne through droplets in the air. We know that there's an incubation period associated with COVID. We know that asymptomatic spread has been a huge factor in causing the number of cases to go up. We know that testing has been a key part of the response. We know that there are vaccines that are available now that are currently in rollout. Pfizer vaccine, Moderna vaccine, and Johnson & Johnson, who are trying to do a single-dose vaccine instead of the two double doses that the other vaccines are offering. All of those things are just features of COVID and how we have gotten to this endemic situation. But what if we stopped and thought about how we got to numbers that were that bad, When we talk about food security, the World Health Organization put out a statement suggesting that the number of undernourished people could increase from 690 million people by 132 million more. Now, the 132 million more is in large part due to the pandemic. So yes, that is an issue that COVID has contributed to. But Why were there 690 million people who were undernourished before that? Similarly, if we look at the global economy, global gross domestic product projected in 2020 to have contracted by 5.2%, according to the World Bank. What this says is that every economy hurt in some way. Every person's bank account suffered in some way. Manufacturing suffered. Supply chains suffered. Businesses went out of business. The financial burden on people, especially those who were now jobless, increased dramatically. Homeless communities have had to endure this pandemic without the proper response, without proper vaccinations, proper information being delivered, and without having a home. One of the most sacred, essential things to survival, having a home. A home means security. A home means safety home means warmth and this homelessness issue was already present before covid covid did not create homelessness covid may have caused more people to go into the streets because of bankruptcy because you lose your job you can't pay your rent you get evicted but covid did not create homelessness so if we examine the other structures that are around us, what we can see is that there are many flaws in our systems. And so we need to figure out how to rebuild these systems to be better than what we had before. One of the most obvious systems that we need to rebuild is the healthcare system, especially in the United States. If you look at the case of Dr. Susan Moore, this gives us a microcosm of systemic racism in healthcare. So let's start with that premise actually. Healthcare in the United States is fundamentally, intrinsically, systemically racist. COVID has exposed this racism to a deadly degree. COVID did not create the racism that exists in healthcare. This is the story of Dr. Susan Moore that exposes this racism. So she was born in Jamaica but she grew up in Michigan. She studied engineering at Kettering University in Flint. And she went for her MD at the University of Michigan's medical school. She has one son who's 19 years old. She took care of her mother who was ill, but due to COVID and systemic racism, she died. On November 29th of 2020, Dr. Susan Moore tested positive. She was admitted to Indiana University's Health North Hospital. Unfortunately, she passed away on December 20th. But before she passed away, she gave an account of her experience in the hospital, from her hospital bed. This video was uploaded to her Facebook, and I recommend that you watch the video for yourselves, because I cannot do her story true justice. Only she could've. But I will summarize her account here. Dr. Moore is in her hospital bed with an oxygen tube and acute neck pain. She says that she has been denied critical care from her by her doctor, Dr. Eric Bannock, who is white. Here are some of the offenses that Dr. Bannock committed. Dr. Moore had been on two treatments of remdesivir prior to interacting with Dr. Bannock. But she was told by Dr. Bannock that she did not need remdesivir because she was not even short of breath. Then she was told that you don't qualify for remdesivir by white Dr. Bannock. You don't qualify? She was on it for two treatments. But it doesn't stop there. Apart from the obvious neglect of duty and the falsehood, the lying, that, oh, Dr. Moore doesn't need this, she doesn't even qualify for it when she already had it twice, Dr. Bennick openly accuses her of being a drug addict, saying that he did not, quote, feel comfortable giving you any more narcotics to Dr. Moore, the patient. A fellow doctor and the patient. Obviously, with all of these incendiary comments, Dr. Moore has to advocate for herself. She has to stand up for herself. She has to get her treatment. This is life threatening. She asked the patient advocate who failed to provide the remdesivir anyways to transfer her to another hospital. That is the degree of failure. She asked to go somewhere else. And she asked the hospital to find her another place to transfer her to. This is already very bad on all counts. She has to deal with the stress of the disease She has to deal with the stress of her family, who's worrying about her. The stress of not being able to continue working as a doctor. She's fighting for her life. She's on oxygen. There's a CT scan that they do immediately after she's had this back and forth with the patient advocate. And when they do the CT scan on her neck, they find new pulmonary infiltrates. And all of a sudden they want to treat her all of a sudden they want to actually get her what she needs all of this is happening by the way while dr moore has sarcoidosis an inflammatory lung disease so she was at a higher risk of dying from covid 19 because of her pre-existing condition and because this, this condition was in a lung disease covid is primarily a respiratory illness And when she concludes her account she says this is this phrase and this is the most chilling phrase and it's the thing that you must take away from her video if nothing else I put forth and I maintain if I was white I wouldn't have to go through that if I was white I wouldn't have to go through that not many people can say something like that from the hospital bed while they are on oxygen with a life-threatening condition. In reality, she did. But did it matter? Not in the American healthcare system. American medicine, which was largely built by exploiting black bodies, is racist. There are many racist ideas in medicine that permeate so many aspects of medicine. One of those ideas is the myth that black patients don't feel pain, have higher pain tolerance, overstate their condition, don't really need treatment. This is a belief that many white physicians hold, and this is a belief that is instilled in medical practices and medical education. Dr. Bannock had no reason not to treat her. You're a doctor. This is your job. You had no reason not to treat her. But you instead sat here and didn't treat her and you went even further, you assailed her, you verbally assaulted her, you made stereotypical racist comments towards her, you let her condition worsen on your watch while she's in critical need, you almost pushed her to leaving and in transferring to another hospital, that's time that's taken away from her treatment. Dr. Bannock was supposed to help Dr. Moore because he is a doctor, but when he invalidates her pain and calls her a drug addict, he is not only not doing his job, he is culpable in her death. Dr. Bannock is culpable in her death, and so is the hospital itself. You can see all of the racist ideas in medicine at play here, invalidating pain not treating the patient, assuming them to be inferior, assuming them to be a drug addict. When we consider all aspects of this situation, the financial aspect or the business aspect of you forcing your customer to want you to find another business to get the same service, or the moral aspect of you leaving this patient to die, or the medical aspect of you not fulfilling your duty and the ethical aspect of you not fulfilling your duty. Again, there's no way to look at this and say this is acceptable and say this is nice. This is you keep doing this. But the literal CEO and president of the hospital disagrees with that idea. He thinks this is great. Let me tell you what he said. Dr. Moore dies on December 20th. On December 24th, which is Christmas Eve, four days later, Dennis Murphy, the president and CEO of this hospital, puts out a press release where he blames Dr. Moore for what happened to her. This is what he says. He mentions that there are quote, several human perspectives in Dr. Moore's story, several human perspectives. Well, there's clearly the perspective of the person who died, but what are the other perspectives just out of curiosity? The other perspectives include the nursing team who may have been intimidated by a knowledgeable patient who is using social media to voice her concerns and critique the care they were delivering. A knowledgeable patient, she's a literal doctor. A practicing doctor. Using social media, that is her right. Voice her concerns and critique the care? Yes, she should. As she should, her life is on the line. She has a child, she is a mother, she has to take care of her mother, she is a practicing doctor, and above all, she's a human being who's expecting humane treatment. Why should she expect anything less, especially from anyone who also is in the same position? It is ridiculous to make any claim that she is at fault, but this is not where he stops. He goes on to say that his team did not fail in the technical delivery of her care. They did not fail the technical aspects of the delivery of Dr. Moore's care. That is in the press release. They didn't fail is what he said. So not giving her medical care, medication, or recognizing her actual condition wasn't failure. It wasn't failure to make her request a different hospital. It wasn't failure to let the patient have to manage everything. It wasn't failure to, after the fact, recognize that she has this condition that makes her higher risk of dying, and then all of a sudden you want to treat her. It wasn't failure to make racist comments towards her. None of this was failure. This was acceptable in the healthcare system. This is a clear indication of the systemic racism in medicine. Consider this. There's a black student who is studying medicine in the United Kingdom whose name is Malone McQuende. and he is currently producing a book about diagnosing conditions on dark skin because, get this, he never learned how to diagnose on non-white skin. Never. How can you study to be a doctor and you can't diagnose like 75% of your patients? Just because you don't know what to look for. Because you were only taught to look for one thing in a certain situation Who is this really serving? Who's really benefiting? Is it humanity? Is it a patient that may have eczema but you can't even tell? Can't diagnose it What he is doing is an example of what we all need to be doing When it comes to the systems that are around us Mukwende is identifying the problem and he is trying to root out the systemic racism that is in the system he is trying to make change and combat the anti-blackness that is present may dr moore rest in peace and may we actually do more to prevent this case from repeating itself unfortunately it will in the foreseeable future because this pandemic is not just affecting the black community in this way it is also affecting the Asian community and it is actually very grotesque how it is doing it's very disgusting very disgusting consider this you come from a country that maybe was near the origin of this virus just because of the way you look you are assumed to also intrinsically carry that virus and if you are from that country That was the the first place this this virus was found. It's even worse, because you are literally the virus. You are literally carrying it. You're not only a carrier, you are actually the virus. That is the rhetoric that we are seeing from people against people of Asian background. Just because they are Asian. There are so many hate crimes that have taken place in 2020, And at the beginning of 2021, in fact, against people of Asian background. And it's been so bad that the Human Rights Watch has actually put out a statement condemning the rise in xenophobia and racism and calling on governments to actually act. Just a few days ago, there was this 84-year-old Thai man named Vicha who who's walking in the street at 8.30 in the morning, minding his own business. This man comes across the street at 8.30 in the morning. He crosses the street to shove this man, to assault this man. A few days later, Vicha dies due to injuries that he sustained from this attack. He dies. This was deadly. This was murder. This was so bad that the Thai consulate, a foreign government, Warn Thai people in L.A. to be on guard and be careful because of the increase in hate crimes. What would motivate somebody to cross the street at 8.30 in the morning to shove an elderly man during a pandemic to come in contact with somebody like that and do this? I mean, if you believe that the virus is, you know, there and they're bringing it, why would you go to it? That is the level of hate, the level of hate that is motivating people. And not just ordinary people, but unfortunately politicians. And unfortunately, the politicians are giving the platform for the xenophobia. There have been countless cases where people are citing things that have been said by those in power. Donald Trump and his rhetoric have literally changed the way that people talk to other people. He has emboldened people to actually be openly racist comfortably when he talks about the china virus and the kung flu and he's talked about people needing to go back to their countries and people pick up on this rhetoric and they start reiterating it or they do worse they go further they physically assault people we can talk about the 89 year old chinese american woman in new york who was set on fire by two random strangers she steps out of her home just looking at her garden it's her evening right just right by her house maybe a block or two down she should feel safe to do this right by her own house but as she steps out two men approach her they slap her and then likely with a lighter or a matchstick or something they set her shirt on fire she quickly has to find a wall rub her back against the wall to put out the fire and she picks up her hair she said at first she didn't know what was going on but she just picked up her hair to protect it from burning you can still see the burn marks on her shirt in the photos that have been taken since an 89 year old woman? really? that's how low we're going? we're going so low as to throw away all regard for age or anything or just decency The people who set her on fire, for the record, have not been caught. You've seen cases of people being coughed on and spat on in bathrooms because they are Asian, being told to go back to their country, being called racial slurs, being told that they are bringing the virus and that they are the virus, being told that this country would be better off without them, and even worse, being physically assaulted, sometimes to the point of death. There is a woman named Eugenie Gray, who is the founder of Feral Creatures, which is a popular blog and successful blog that has been featured in BuzzFeed, it's been featured in Yahoo, and Refinery29. Very successful. She's doing great for herself. She takes her dog out on a walk, and her dog is about 11 years old. She's had it for 11 years at least. You know, they're walking on the sidewalk, as a person and their dog would, and the dog poops as a dog would so she has her mask on and she says the only thing that people can really see is are her eyes she has her mask on she she bends down she has the bag she's trying to pick up the dog poop right like a responsible owner taking care of her community as she does this someone runs by body slams her kicks her dog and then leaves. She doesn't know who it was because she had already bent over to try and pick up the dog poop. How could she know? Why would she need to expect this to happen? She's walking her dog. The thing that incited these attacks and is continuing to incite this rhetoric and this behavior is xenophobia and racism that were already present before COVID. They were already present COVID did not create racism. Racism didn't just start when people got infected with COVID-19, what COVID has done, it has given people more reason and more material to try and assail people with. The people who are giving the motivation, who are giving the guidance that it's okay to call people these things are our politicians. And I am particularly calling out American leaders and European Union leaders. I mention Donald Trump a lot because although he is not the current president, the damage that he has done is going to last for a very long time. And this rhetoric is one of those things. When he talked about the Kung Flu and the China virus, it was a dog whistle for people to do the attacks that I have just described and more. He was criticized once for talking about the China virus during a debate and a member of the European Union Parliament in the United Kingdom named Roger Helmer put out a tweet defending Trump. This is the defense. Well, I mean, we call it Chinese food if it's Chinese, we call it Indian curry, we call it German sauerkraut, we call it where it's from. So what's wrong with calling it the China virus? That's the essence of the tweet. He defends this racist language, and then when the UK variant is identified, right? The mutation that is believed to have originated in the UK, he says, oh, we shouldn't call say this originated in the United Kingdom. That's not a good thing to say. We shouldn't do that. All of a sudden it's a problem. For the record, many Asian countries have got the disease under control. Taiwan, Vietnam, and South Korea have done a really good job of instituting policies that are going to get their countries through the pandemic. Heavy contact tracing, vigilant mask wearing, sanitation, quarantine measures, and all around great policy, concerted effort. While the U.S. and the European Union have just been mismanaging this disease at every step of the way. These are two places that contribute so much of the cases, the case count that we see. The United States alone has 27 million cases out of 105 global and they have both mismanaged this disease in some way the european union was willing to let italy continue to suffer in the initial outbreak that italy faced the european union has been unable to secure proper vaccines from astrazeneca and the u.s has manipulated data about covid cases at a federal and state levels like in florida and new york allegedly in new york They have manipulated data, they have touted conspiracy theories about mask wearing, vaccination, COVID being a hoax, it's not a real thing, appointing conspiracy theorists like Scott Atlas, who's not even an MD, has no relation to medicine or biology, as an advisor to the COVID board. These are the actions that we suffer from. These are the failures that we suffer from. And so I'll leave you with this thought. If normalcy is what we want, want to get back to normal, want to go back to how things were, then why would we trust normalcy to help us again? When it's putting people out on the streets, it's putting people's lives at risk, it's leaving people hungry, it's leaving people jobless. Why is that ideal? I don't think it is. And I think that we need to start looking at our systems and make big changes. This concludes the first episode of Unibytes. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow us on our Twitter at Unibytes and on our Instagram at Unibytes Podcast for more content and updates on when our future episodes will be coming out. Uh, don't forget to tune in to Lottie's episode tomorrow, Sunday. And... Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next Saturday.